hundreds of miles from home with no hope. They long to be back. I know anybody who has ever left from somewhere they lived for a long time always has that feeling of longing to go back. Even through the, you'll start to forget some of the bad things you, when you leave places. You know, I've, I've done that. I'm like, man, I'm really ready to leave. And I leave and then I look back and I'm like, well, maybe it wasn't so bad, right? <laughs> and so I'm sure the Jews at this time when they're in Babylon were longing to go back, to be back where they, they should be. But they had no power on their own to make it happen. They were just one small nation among a whole lot of other nations who had been conquered and were now living in this foreign place. And going back to them seemed impossible. But what we find with God is that he is the God of the impossible. He steps in time at just the right time to those who appear to be out of time. Though we wonder and we place our trust in things that make promises but never fulfills them, though we find ourselves bound by the chains of our own making, God at the right time, even when it seems too late, finds us and sets us free. For the Jews, this was the darkest hour. They lived in a foreign land, miles from home, with endless deserts surrounding them, and it was between them where they wanted to be and where they were currently. And they were stuck. They were stuck. And they needed a Savior to help them. They found themselves impossibly lost. Yet in that moment of lostness, we're going to read here in Isaiah 40, God spoke. He tells Isaiah to make an announcement, an announcement that there's a new voice to be heard. I love this. Is why I, 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 I can't get enough of Isaiah because there's so much rich stuff in here. We're only going to go through a little bit this morning, just three through five. Because God sends Isaiah a message. He says, here, tell the people this. He says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, when God speaks, it's never to simply hear himself talk, all right? There's a lot of people who like to talk. I've got a son. I'm not going to name which one it is, but I've got one, and i got so many it doesn't matter. But i got one that just loves to talk, and he loves to hear himself talk, and he just talks, 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 talks. And that's great. That's fine. But God isn't that way. When God speaks, he says something with purpose and with power. When he speaks, the impossible becomes possible. The very word of God is what spoke the whole universe into existence. When he speaks, circumstances change. Death becomes life. The people who he's speaking to were broken. They were buried under the guilt of their past mistakes. They were in mourning. Mothers had lost daughters. Fathers had lost sons. All the familiar places, towns, sights, smells, they were all gone. There were thousands of voices sobbing, wailing, all at the loss of what they had just experienced. So God commands that a new voice cries out. Love the imagery here, right? Don't, don't, don't ignore the, the adjectives. A voice cries. What I get when I read that is that it's a voice of proclamation, the one that shouts above the noise of the sorrow and the pain. A voice that says, listen, pay attention. The time of slavery is over. And Israel may have turned from God in the past, but at this point, when God speaks to them, he says, a voice cries, God is turning back to them. Now, when we're preparing for a party, what's, what's, a, what's the usual order of events? If we're getting ready to do a party, Lopez is doing it this week. What's the usual order of events? What do we do? 
Do we clean the house, decorate, and then think, man, this place looks great. I really should invite some people over, <laughs> right? If you're like me and only clean about once every two weeks, that's probably what you might do that, but not normally, right? No. Usually, we know that the guests are coming. We've sent out the invitations, right? And they're like, holy smokes, let me get this place cleaned up because it's tomorrow, and I really got to get this done, right? We do that. Hopefully, we do that, all right? And that's what God was telling the people here. He said, a voice is crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and get ready. There's someone coming, more than just someone, but the one. They were to prepare because God was coming to rescue them. Now, where does the preparedness take place, right? In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The wilderness, in a biblical sense, was an uninhabited place. It was a place where wild animals roamed, right? If you've ever uh, tried to get a house ready for a party, you may feel this way about it. I know that sometimes my house feels like a wilderness with a bunch of wild animals running around crazy all the time. It was a wasteland, a desert in a biblical sense. Maybe your house is that way, I don't know, but... In the biblical sense, it was a wasteland, a space that was empty, it was void, that was, that was rough, that was rugged, that wasn't ready. It was not a place you want to be unless something was forcing you there. I don't have a verse for this, but one of my favorite verses of all time in the Bible is Proverbs 21.9, and it speaks about a wilderness. It says, it is better to live in a desert land. Now, remember how bad this place is. It's better to live in the wilderness, in the wasteland, in a desert. Maybe some of you might know this verse than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Yeah. So a desert's a bad place to be, right? And, and so is living with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. They're both bad things. And so the Bible gives this picture of this place is just a wasteland. Now, the area between Babylon and Israel was considered a vast, almost impassable desert. And it is now. You can go look on a map. You could travel through it from now. It's all there in the Middle East. It's around Iran. It's just as big, just big wasteland. And when speaking of preparing a way through, what Isaiah is thinking of, what he probably had in mind was the many instances where ancient kings would travel from one part of their empire to another. And when they would do that, they'd send out people ahead to, to go into the areas where there was no roads and to clear the path, to make a way. They would send engineers to, to, to make a way that was safe for the king's arrival. They would level ground. They would raise up ground. They would do whatever it takes. They'd build bridges. They would do whatever it took for the king to be able to make it from point A to point B without having to work extra hard to get there. Now, Isaiah has that in mind, but Isaiah has someone different doing the work. Let's look at 40 verses 4 through 5. It's coming. Here it comes. There we go. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These were all things beyond the capabilities of a group of people who were stuck in a place they didn't want to be in. There's a, a no-name people in a place they didn't want to be, and they could not possibly do all these things that God said was going to be accomplished. So who was going to do it? God. He was going to do it. This was something only he himself could accomplish. He was the one who was going to make it happen. He was the one here clearing the way. He is the one revealing himself in his glory. He is the one affecting the work by raising the valleys and lowering the mountains, making the way smooth. It's all on him. 
This is a picture of a people being led home with God at the front of the line, being taken through a desert, restoring to them what was lost. The wilderness with its overcomable mountains and, and treacherous trails is a metaphor for the heart and the things in it that stood in the way of their salvation. This wasn't just a physical location, although it was literally a place you could go see now. But what God was saying was, was there's places in our hearts that are high and rugged. There's places in our hearts that are low and dark. There's places all in us that need to be leveled out and smooth and need to be prepared for a coming. And we can't do it on our own no more than Israel or the Jews could do it on their own. God was telling his people then, he was telling us now to prepare our hearts. Our hearts may be dry and barren, they may be full of obstacles to true fulfillment, to true joy, to true peace. They're probably full of stuff we've accumulated, things once precious, but things that are now just junk and clutter. To get where we know we are made to be, to be where God has called us to be, takes a change, not just a physical change, not just a cleaning up on the outside, not just a getting things dusted and putting it up underneath the rug or putting it in the closet, cleaning from the inside out. A heart change. And that change is started by God breaking things down in us that we can never break down in ourselves. Now, whenever you hear about God who's coming to rescue you and you hear this, that sounds great. You hear about God coming to, to take you out of your mess. That sounds great because when you're stuck and you're really stuck and you're down to the last, uh, your, your last bit of energy and you know there's no way out, you're thinking, oh, thank you, God, somebody's coming to rescue me, right? If you're stuck in a ditch on the side of the road in a snowbank after you've run off on the ice and you cannot possibly get out, you will be grateful for anybody who shows up to come get you out, right? Yeah. But whenever we talk about God cleaning us up, the tune changes a bit, doesn't it? Because if you think about it like this, what if one of the guests you invited to your party called <clears throat> before the party starts and they say, hey, I'm going to come clean your house for you before the party. Now, most of us would probably freak out, right? I mean, most of us are not going to be like, yes, thank you so much for coming to clean my house before you show up. No, <laughs> we would not be doing that. We would be freaking out. Because what do we do before guests show up? We clean up. Why? Because we don't want them to see all the dirty little secrets we got buried around the house. There's places we put things that we don't want anybody to look at. I've got a closet full of them that you don't need to see. All right? We all do. We all have things that we put away. We all have things that we, again, sweep under the rug, all those things that we do, because we don't want anybody to see those. Again, though, we may be more open to that idea, though, right? If we recognize there's no way we could possibly get the house clean, there's no way we could possibly get it ready on our own, and we trusted that person to not judge us by our mess, right? If you knew me really well, you knew me and you were good friends, we went back a way long time, and I said, hey, you, you know, I know you're having this party. I know there's no way you're going to get this place clean. I'm going to come over and help you out. And if we knew each other, and I knew your mess, and you knew mine, that'd be no problem. You'd be like, sure, come on over, help me clean this stuff out, right? More likely to, maybe. The junk and clutter that fills our hearts for all of us is, a, is like hoarder levels, all right? This isn't just a little, little bit of cleaning. This is hoarder level cleaning that needs to happen in our hearts. 
There are things in there that we've avoided, things we try to clean up on our own that keep coming back like a really bad spot. And the reality is that the clutter of our hearts can only be cleared away by the one who has the power, the ability, and the willingness to do it. And he's not going to say, ooh, that's ugly. I don't want you. But no, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you've done. I'm going to clean it up anyway. Because I know you can't, but I will. I'll do that for you. Romans 8, 30 through 32 says this. I think I have a slide for it, Jane. Perfect. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has the power, the ability, and the willingness to clean the house. In Christ, he has called us. He has cleaned us. He is for us. Through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, God has made the way in the wilderness. He has rescued us. And for those who believe and follow him, he empowers and equips us every day so we can work with him, moving those mountains in our hearts that prevent us from living the life he's called us to live, from living a life that glorifies him and lives in peace with those around us. He does that. He has done it. We need to live it. So how do we live it? Three little steps. Three quick steps this morning. How do we live with hearts of preparation? Go ahead and throw the last one up there, Jaden. Perfect. By acknowledging our need. That's the first thing we got to do, right? That's the first step. The Jews in exile realized they were not where they were supposed to be. They knew they needed to get back home. They just couldn't do it. God was saying, I'm going to affect that work for you. It's this realization that made them get the help that they needed to get. The problems in our lives are too big for us to handle on our own. We have to acknowledge we're not where we should be, so we're ready to receive the help of the one who can help us. Two, we need to listen. In the moment of recognizing and knowledge your need, you got, you got to do something about it. You can't just say, oh, I'm broken. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that didn't really help you out any, does it? Acknowledging that you've got a problem doesn't fix it. What well, does fix it? Listening to the voice that cries out above the noise. This time of year, there's distraction after distraction. And in the quiet moments of your life, you can turn inward and you can start to think about all the things you don't have. You can think about the family that you've lost. You can think about the pain that you're in. You can think about the worst of your circumstances. Or you can listen for the voice that's crying out above all of that. This Advent season, we look back to the first coming of Jesus, whose name means the Lord is salvation. We hear the stories of angels proclaiming his birth. We celebrate the manger and the shepherds because they represent the fact that God came first to those the world considers last. And we look forward to hearing the trumpet call as Christ returns, 
bringing heaven to earth. We listen as he, as he speaks hope, as he speaks peace, as he speaks joy, as he speaks love through his word. In our day-to-day moments of, of need, listen again. Listen again for his voice, because he is still speaking today. Step three is putting away the clutter. If we do steps one and two, if we acknowledge our need, and step two, we listen We allow God to start clearing the room to prepare our hearts for the party. I didn't really tell you a little earlier, but the word prepare in Hebrew means turn away or to put out of the way. And what we have in Christ is his power to move the insurmountable piles of clutter that are in the way, to put them away for good. And day by day, when we follow him, he's inviting us to join in that journey to moving one piece at a time until the work is done, and he's faithful to carry it out. For seekers this morning, I want to thank you for joining us as I try to always do every Sunday. If you don't know where you're at with Jesus or not not quite sure where you're at on this faith journey, this this is the place for you to be. We love for you to be here. We love for you to have questions. We love for you to lean in in this time of Christmas when we celebrate, and you wonder, well, I don't know really what I'm celebrating. I don't feel like celebrating we know why we celebrate. We want you to experience that joy too. It's a joy that goes beyond presence. It's a joy that goes beyond anything in this world. It's for knowing the Savior. If you're ready to know Him fully for the first time, we have a chance for you to accept that and make that first step on that journey this morning. If you're not, we want to keep pressing in with you, keep walking down this road with you. It's beyond Christmas. It's not just about coming on Christmas. It's about a lifelong journey. If there's something more to this life than what you see, hear, feel, and touch, what is it? Can you identify it? Can you put your finger on it? If you don't know, I want to help walk, that, walk through that doubt and those questions with you because I've been there. I've done that. It goes beyond Christmas time. It's through every day of the year. For believers this week, let's live this week in a spirit of preparation. Lopez's are going to be living it in reality, right? They're going to be preparing their house and their home for us, but the rest of us, And for them, let's make sure we prepare our hearts day by day. Just like if we were cleaning our house before guests arrive, let's take time each day to look around our lives and let God point out the piles that don't just need to be moved around, but moved out. And let's be grateful that the one who calls out the need is faithful to accomplish the work. And while we're spiritually preparing, I also, you know, we can't just, I can't just leave you with, with something just to, to do kind of on your own. Let's take an action step we can actually see and feel and touch. While you're spiritually preparing, let's be on the lookout this week for a way we can help others physically prepare for Christmas, okay? So if you're out this week and you have a family member that's going to get a party ready or they're getting dinner ready for Christmas or they're buying groceries or they're buying a present for a kid, who knows what they're doing? Or you have a neighbor who maybe doesn't want your help, but you've got an extra five minutes to go help shovel his driveway. Or you get an extra five seconds to go say, hey, just thinking about you. I really appreciate you this Christmas time. If you got extra anything, give that little bit extra. Give that little bit extra this week. What's one task we can help somebody with this week in our community, right here in the communities you live in, wherever you're at, next door to somebody or across the street, where's somebody really close that you can find that we can help them get ready for Christmas? Now, if you're really good, I'd ask you to take 30 minutes this week, all right? But if you can only get five, that's fine. Whatever you can give, just give as much as you can. 
to help somebody this week and to show them the love of Jesus and the joy that we have and why we have it this Christmas season and why we serve in preparation. Let's pray this morning.